It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil from the farmer of fury. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on the 1,000th and first day of Theresa May's Prime Ministership. We didn't actually mention that she'd had a 1,000 days yesterday because everybody was doing that. We're going to do it on the 1,001st day, which doesn't even sound right. We are at Talk Radio, of course. We're back in the studios. Unfortunately, there is no reason to celebrate, though. She's off to Germany and France today in the death throes of her leadership. The only good news for her is that she's actually meeting in Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron, two people who might actually be more unpopular in their country than she is in hers. We will check in with the countdown clock this morning as well to see just how close we are getting to nothing happening uh, on Friday, which, of course, is the next day at which we're supposed to be leaving the European Union. I think the House of Lords has basically kiboshed that. First up, though, we're talking about the blame game. It might not be working very well in our broken political system, but it is now being introduced into divorce legislation. From now on, no one partner can stop the other from getting a divorce, which at the moment can result in delays of up to five years. But is it going to make divorce a little bit too easy? 0344-499-1000. Coming up, we'll be finding out why a judge thought it was a good idea to let a Turkish gang member stay in this country uh, because his criminal activity apparently made him socially and culturally integrated into Britain. Well, that's all right then. And we'll be talking about the end of the drinking culture at work as well. 0344-499-1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, the story that we're all looking at this morning on the front page of The Times is one uh, in which it says spouses lose the right to fight divorce at the end of unhappy marriages. At the same time as looking at all of that, of course, uh, we are seeing rather unfortunately being played out in front of the great British public. Um, the divorce and the breakup of the Cracknell's marriage, James Cracknell and Beverly Turner. James Cracknell, of course, the Olympic rower uh, who remarkably made a comeback uh, in his 40s to win the uh, Oxford and Cambridge boat race this past weekend, even though he's twice as old as everybody else that was in it. It's a remarkable story. It's a remarkably sad story in a way that Beverly Turner has decided to tell all and sort of wash her dirty laundry in public. But let's talk, first of all, about the general principle uh, of what happens now to husbands and wives who actually do get divorced. And to help us, let's talk to Elaine Richardson from Resolution, a family law uh, organisation uh, and campaign. Elaine, a uh, very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi. hi Thanks Mike. very much indeed for joining us. Tell us at the moment what the law lets you do, because my own divorce, which happened many years ago, 
um, was was originally contested. But my own lawyer said to me, well, you, you can actually get divorced for any number of reasons and it, you don't actually need the other person's permission. Um, has that changed recently? No, it hasn't. And um, our divorce law is um, 50 years old and it's certainly not fit for purpose um, at the moment and moving forwards. The sole ground for divorce is the irretrievable breakdown of a marriage. Right. But you're required to provide evidence by way of a fact mm. to support that. And so these are the facts that people will have heard of, such as adultery, unreasonable behaviour, right. two years separation with consent, and five years separation if there isn't consent. Right. And what is it about um, uh, that that needs to change? Because it seems to me that you can, you can, you can say unreasonable behaviour about almost anything, can't you? Um, yes, you can. And there have been some extraordinary things that have been reported in the past. Um, I remember one um, at ground which was based on unreasonable behaviour, and that was that the um, husband insisted on speaking Klingon. Um, Klingon? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there have, been, there have been some marriages that might have been benefited from that, I suppose. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but you can see how ridiculous it can be. Well, I, this is, again, I mean, I can only talk from my own personal experience. And I was very much told at the beginning, well, you can say that uh, you don't like the way that somebody puts the, the cap back on the toothpaste or you don't like the way the That's sock drawer is organised. And that can be sort of, you know, irreconcilable differences or unreasonable behaviour. Yeah, it can be. Um, and, of course, the problem with it basically is that it increases the conflict between a couple when things are already difficult and therefore that can have a knock-on effect in the way that they parent their children in the right. future. Yes. So, I mean, as far as what is happening now and what David Gork is, is announcing as the Justice Minister, um, I mean, what, what will change? How is it that this will now make it easier? Um, so the way that it's going to change is that the irretrievable breakdown of the marriage will be retained as the sole ground for divorce. Right. But you won't need to provide evidence of a fact. So, in other words, all those things that I've just described, adultery and reasonable behaviour, two-year separation, etc., they will just go and you will just make a statement of irretrievable breakdown. Right, OK. And so, I mean, I, I, do you, I know you, your organisation has campaigned for this particular change. Is there a danger that you say you might see more people getting divorced because this will make it a bit easier for them? No, and this is generally reported, of course, in the press, this, um, this assumption that it's a going shibboleth, to be shibboleth, I call it. Yeah. Um, in my experience, and I'm a member of the National um, Family Law Committee of the Law Society, as well as being a family solicitor, I'm also a family mediator. Right. And in my experience of dealing with couples over many years, this is not a decision that anybody takes lightly. It's a really difficult life decision, isn't it? It's going to have an impact on you and on your children for the rest of their lives. So people do not just wander into divorce willy-nilly. No, I don't think they do. And, I mean, not as many people, I suppose, as before are getting married either. So, I mean, I, I suppose what, what, what we want to do is to try and make sure, Elaine, that when people do get married, they're doing it for the right reasons. And then if they are going to end up splitting up and getting divorced, that they're doing that for the right reasons. Yes, absolutely. And that's where family lawyers can help, of course, um, because they can properly advise people. And one of the first things that you would ask somebody is, is there any possibility of reconciliation? Right. And you'd always explore that with them. And I'm so happy to see today that Aidan Jones, the chief exec of um, Relate, thoroughly supports um, this change. 
and talks about mm. the outdated fault-based divorce system. Right. So, um, Relator definitely on board with this. Because in one of the, uh, the the pieces I'm reading this morning, they, 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 they quote the case of Teeny Owens, who's 68 from Worcestershire, who says that she's trapped in a loveless marriage. Yes. Um, and I think last July, the Supreme Court actually ruled that she couldn't get divorced. That's right. Which is isn't a, that an extraordinary story, yeah. that, isn't it? In this day and age, isn't that just dreadful? And that's what this antiquated divorce law ultimately leads to. Yeah. I mean, it seems incredible that you, you can be stuck in that sort of situation. I mean, she's been fighting this case for a while now. Will this, yeah. mean, will this mean that she could finally uh, get out of it? Um, it could do if the time frame was right. But my understanding is that this has got to go through Parliament yet. So there will be um, a bit of time before mm. the, the law is actually made. Right. I mean, the I ruling... know that the government's really committed to doing that, um, supported by the Ministry of Justice, which right. is fantastic. And the other problem, I suppose, for a lot of people is this business of having to be separated for five years. I mean, if you haven't got a divorce settlement and you haven't had financial kind of distribution of, of monies, yeah. how, how are you supposed to do that? It is really difficult. And, of course, some people, a lot of people, are in the financial situation whereby they have to carry on living under the same roof. Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, people are putting up with some terrible situations because of this antiquated divorce mm. yeah i know it's absolutely shocking isn't it and as far as the whole kind of um mediation business goes because there was a while uh, there was for a, for a while there was a plan whereby which i think was brought in by the blair brown government i think i'm right in saying which was to make sure that people went to mediation first before they even were able to to get to the next stage is that still the case yes it is still the case but because mediation is a voluntary process yeah um, it, it's in two stages, and the thing that people have to do before going to court is if you want to make any sort of court application in relation to children or the finances um, following separation, then you must attend a mediation information meeting. Right. And is there an issue with, with apportioning blame in the sense that once you are looking at so how you kind of divvy up the money, um, yeah. is, does that depend on whose fault it is? is? Is there any sort of logic to that? No, it doesn't. I'm happy to say that right. uh, those two things are, are not uh, usually related. Right. Okay. And and I mean, I, I don't want to. I'm sure you don't want to get into the personalities involved here. But I mean, it's kind of dispiriting for me. Uh, at the same time as this story's out in the in the Times this morning, that in the Times yesterday, Beverly Turner was talking about the breakup of her marriage to James Cracknell. I mean, I assume as a, as a family lawyer, uh, you would not recommend going to the papers with the sort of uh, the family's secrets, as it were. No, and I um, listened to your reference about uh, washing your dirty yeah. laundry in public, and uh, obviously that's best avoided for the sake of the children yes. more than, than anything else. Having said that, I also read that article, and it seems to me that she was trying to take out some of the potential acrimony that could have been there. How was um, she doing that, do you think? Because she was talking about the difficulties that her husband had had with his um, bike accident. Yes. And how, you know, how difficult it is when somebody suffers that type of um, accident to their brain that leads to personality change. Mm. I mean, so, I suppose, interestingly enough, um, they've, they've always been in the public eye. I think they wrote a book together about, yeah. about the injury that happened to him while he was cycling across America and how, yeah. in fact, it had changed their marriage and it was difficult, but mm. they were still kind of together at that point. So I suppose maybe celebrities have a different way of doing these things because they're in the public eye and they decide to talk about it. Maybe they do. Um, but, of course, everybody who experiences divorce will have the need to talk about it. Um, and, again, I, I can't recommend highly enough 
those family lawyers that are experienced in dealing with this type of work because mm. there's, there's also, it's not just law, it's not just hard letter law that they're helping people with, but it's also um, a, a sort of therapeutic intervention mm. as well mm. to try to make matters, you know, less bad, to right. try not to make matters worse than they already are. Sure. And is it still the fact that it's about 50% of marriages that, that end in divorce at the moment? Is that changing? Is there anything that's likely to change in that number? Um, it is round about that number. Um, data shows that out of every five divorce petitions over the last three years, close to three relied on those unreasonable conduct facts and adultery, um, and two on separation facts, so usually the two years separation with consent. Mm, right. um, but, but nearly half of the petitions in 16, 2016 to 18 relied upon the unreasonable behaviour fact. And, of course, that is the most terrible way to start off a divorce or the mediation process, mm. where you have to say as a mediator and as a solicitor, you know, one of you has got to blame the other. I mean, that's a terrible start to a process where you're trying to get people to put their differences sure. to one side and solve some financial problems and problems related to the children in a sensible way. Yeah. Well, that's right. And also, generally speaking, as you'll know from, from your own experience, Elaine, uh, in the business, it's never one person's fault, is it? It's always two people's fault. It's very often that is the case. Um, that I mean, even if one party appears to have done something dreadful and, and, and unreasonable, there's usually a, sort of an underlying reason why they've done it. Very often that is the case, yeah. Yeah. What about uh, the mediation uh, thing we talked about? Does that ever stop people getting divorced? I mean, are there any statistics that show that if you do go to mediation, there is a chance that you can save the marriage? Um, sometimes people will come to mediation with me and say that actually one of the things they want to discuss on the agenda is going to marriage guidance counselling. Right. So that's, the, you know, that the potential to do that is always there. But the difficulty is that See, it I did that be... and it actually made it worse. It can be an uphill struggle, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I shouldn't be laughing, but it was a long oh, time ago, you know, you. and my I'm kids sorry. are grown up now, so they're fine. But, you know, it wasn't a helpful manoeuvre, let me put it that way. No, well, sometimes you have to kiss a number of frogs before you can find your prince. Which, well, that's um, true. I'm still yeah. looking for my prince, uh, if you know what I mean, but that's another story. But, uh, but yeah, listen, um, so we don't expect to see this being sort of found, found finding its way into legislation for a while, but but congratulations on winning the, uh, the campaign. How long have you been campaigning for this? Oh, at least... Um, well, Resolution has been ca campaigning for this ever since it was founded, and that was over 35 years ago. Okay. So it's been outdated for an awful that long time. That is interesting, isn't it? And are we yeah. still the kind of divorce capital of the world? Because we see an awful lot of very wealthy couples getting divorced in in London in particular, and the belief being that, uh, that if you are uh, getting um, a divorce from a very wealthy individual, this is a good place to do it because you get more of a share of the loot. Um, of course, that depends... Uh, on which side you're on. Well, sure, but I mean, if, presumably if you're on the side of wanting to take the money uh, from somebody who's got a lot of money, then you would file the case in London, would you? Um, potentially you could do that, but of course um, I think that what happens is the press leaps upon these cases yeah. and then um, it's a bit skewed so that people think that, you know, these cases are happening all the time mm. and we are the divorce capital, etc., etc. I mean... In relation to most people, that type of divorce bears absolutely no resemblance no. Um, to the majority of people in this country, where most of the cases are needs-based. 
In other words, there's not enough money mm. to split between two people to enable them to have the same lifestyle that they have. Sure. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a sort of a very big part of everybody's life. This, and it's it's important that we talk about it. But Elaine, thank you very much indeed. Elaine Richardson there from Resolution, uh, which is a family law organisation. Imagine campaigning for thirty-five years for this change to the laws of divorce, which basically means that you don't have to blame somebody else. Uh, you can have a no-fault divorce. You don't have to, uh, as is the case with this terrible story uh, up in Worcestershire, Teeny Owen, 68 years old, who cannot leave her husband uh, because the judge says that she has not proven that he had uh, ir- the marriage had irretrievably broken down because of his unreasonable behaviour. So she has to stay married to the guy. Meanwhile, they have to try and live apart for five years. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. come as no surprise to any of you listening out there that I am indeed beautiful. Not just because I think I am, uh, but because of the way that I am. I've, I've gone down a list of ten things that show how you have real beauty. And I've got all of them. I have to say, I'm delighted uh, to say that I'm now going to talk to Joe Emerson, who's a confidence coach, and Claire O'Connor, scientific skincare advisor, because uh, we're going to find out precisely what makes me so beautiful. Uh, Joan Claire, very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning, Mike. Thank good you so morning. much for joining us. Now, we're going to have to do this in some kind of order, aren't we? Otherwise, we're all going to be talking at the same time. So, shall we start with you, Joe? Yep. Uh, the 10 signs of real beauty. Tell, tell me what they are, because I can I can absolutely tick every one of these. Okay, well, you, you absolutely can, Mike. Um, well, there's there's loads of signs, but the top 10 uh, um, in this research, kindness yes. in how you treat and speak to others, being honest, making others feel more comfortable, simply being happy, laughing at yourself. Yep. Happy to be yourself in front of others. Courage, not judging others, mm. and knowing when others need a shoulder to cry on. I yes. think that's there's a lot of that in the radio business, as, you, as I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, there's always people looking for a shoulder to cry on in the radio business, and, and, and that's what I'm here for. But seriously, I mean, this is very important stuff, isn't it? Because we have so much emphasis these days on, you know, how you look. Yeah. You know, we've got the whole Love Island thing going mm. on, and people going, oh, look how beautiful they are. Um, and, and that seems to be all they care about, their outward appearance. But in fact, this is far more important. Well, do you know what I think is as this so this research was done by Boots number seven uh-huh. and um and I, they've asked me to come and kind of chat about confidence and um authenticity. And um, you know, I think as a generation X woman, which is, you know, the the people that, you know, the uh, the uh, research was done on women of, of my generation. Right. So is that 30... why I get confused about that? Is that sort of thirty something? Thirty nine to fifty three. Oh, okay. Okay. Um we are quite frankly, a little bit sick of being told how we should look and that there is only one way in which yes. to be beautiful. Right. Um, and then, of course, what happens is as you get older and you, you know, mature... Happens to be one of the greatest um, generations of women, by the way. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, of course, we can have lunch later. Mm. Um, <laughs> no problem. I finished at one. <laughs> you know, we are, we are sick of being told what beautiful is because, you know what... 
you realise as you get older that beauty, outward beauty, yes, it's important. We all want to feel good, but actually, what we're what we're um, what we're emanating out from the inside is so much more important. You know, and when I met my partner, the first thing he said to me was, "You are just yourself, aren't you?" And I was like, well, "Yeah, kind of, yeah." Like I'd let go of a lot of that old stuff that I believed yes. in my twenties. You know, I was being myself. I was being genuine. You know, I think things like strength as well, compassion empathy all of those things are really gorgeous and the research isn't saying don't put makeup on or don't worry about how you look it's just saying that there are two kind of sides to this you know and what we what we feel on the inside is reflected on the outside and vice versa sure and it is difficult as well for younger women i think now because of the you know like i mentioned the love island thing i mean if you're yeah. a, a, a young woman in your 20s um, you know, there, there might be a new form of feminism, which is great, and all men are now much more willing to be feminists than, than they used to be. But still, yeah. um, women are held up to a higher standard, aren't they? Yeah, it, it, it worries me. I've got three daughters who are um, in their early teens, so yeah. they're heading in, you know, in that direction. And I think what worries me is that, there's, that there are these impossible standards being portrayed in certain parts of the media um, and and I think as well we were just saying actually before before we spoke to you Mike you know guys I mean how is a young man supposed to know how to speak to a woman mm. these days yeah. you know without without fear of offending and and it's all just got really confused and you know I do think the pendulum needs to swing back the other way and we need to be focusing a little bit more on, on these you know these other things yes and I know that number seven probably I mean I could be wrong doesn't do male, male makeup but I mean there's a lot of men wearing makeup these days as well well they do do skincare do they yeah yes, Claire can tell you all yes. about it oh go on we Claire do, we do do skincare for men so if you any worries about that? We have. Um... Luckily, I don't because also, <laughs> not only am I beautiful, but I'm also my skin is also amazing. We well, know that, Mike. We know. <laughs> but that, that's because you've been using number seven moisturiser, isn't it? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, I'll give it a go. You know, I'm not shy. So there is. So there is a male line then. Yes, of, of course there is. Yes, um, we're not we're not disregarding the men. It was um, it was just that this was kind of focusing on Generation X women. So that that's more why we've um, just talked about the women. Right. But yeah, you get get down there, get in there. There's some there's a serum, a moisturizer. It'll all be great for your skin. But if we go back to this whole kind of real beauty thing, you know, men who are themselves and are you know kind of genuinely being, a, you know, true true to themselves. Mm they're more attractive as well. You know, this goes both ways, right? Oh, of course. But also, I think it is a bit of an age thing, isn't it? Because you become more sure of yourself as you get older. You become more comfortable with yourself as you get older as well. You can't really teach that to people, can you? No, you well. Or can, maybe you can. I don't know. Well, you know, in my work, you know, I work with people who actually are in the middle of their lives and have often had a massive confidence crisis. We used to call it a midlife crisis. Mm. It's actually a real stage of life. It's like shedding a skin. Um, and I, you know, I teach my clients that confidence is a muscle. You have to exercise it in the same way you exercise any other muscle in your body. Um, so I think for some people, confidence is the natural part of aging. I think for others, they seem to lose it. Mm. And that's when you have to redefine your confidence. And it needs to be based far more on who you are as a person and not the car you drive, sure. how you look, your dress size, the house you live in, mm. the job you do, etc. And, and funnily enough, we were talking this morning, there's a change in the divorce law coming now. Yeah, right, where you I saw can get that. divorced without having to blame each other, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've known quite a few women in, in my time who 
were quite miserable in their marriage and who got divorced and actually suddenly blossomed into very confident individuals. <laughs> that was me. Was that you? <laughs> that was me. Well, maybe I do know you after that all. That was me eight years ago. <laughs> right. I had this new career as a result of that. Absolutely. That's exactly what happened to me eight years ago. Right. Because a lot of people are stuck in a sort of rut, aren't they? So, I mean, if someone's listening yeah. to this and saying, well, it's all very well and nobody's really that nice and that beautiful inside and all of that. I mean, you can you can learn, presumably, to be a bit more like the 10 things that we just mentioned. Oh, completely. Uh, completely you can learn to be those those things. Um, and, you know, it often comes with um, realising that the life you're living isn't working for you and having the courage to say, I can't do this anymore. I, I genuinely can't yeah. do this anymore. And then seeking the help you need um, to, you know, to do that. But, you know, and also, but not disregarding. I was saying earlier on to, to a friend, you know, I think my my grandparents' generation and my mum's generation, they almost sort of hit their forties and thought, oh no, it's it's, it's all bit, over. It's a bit icky. It's a bit ugly to want to look good. You know, it's you know we should exactly it's all over and women shouldn't want to look good, at, you know, in in yeah. the middle of their lives. And that has changed. You know, <laughs> we can invest, you know, in how we look as much as we want to, but we have to invest in who we are as people. Yes, and life's ever evolving. You know, you have to grab, you know, life as it is. You know, right now, and you know, I I certainly do do not regret for a second um, leaving my marriage. You know, in in nine years ago. Well, as long as you don't sell the stories to the Daily Mail like the Cracknells do, I mean, you'll be fine. Well, I do think for their children that yeah. I mean, it does seem terrible, doesn't it? I mean, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I've mentioned it already, but I mean, the Mm. one thing, surely, if you're going to be critical of your husband for supposedly not being very good with the kids, you don't then write about it in the Daily Mail. I wouldn't do that. No, personally. No. No. Yeah, there we are. There's more to that. Maybe so we've eyes. redefined beauty. What can we what can we redefine now? What else <laughs> could, what else can we do? Do you know what we could redefine confidence? Okay. Because a lot of people think confidence is about arrogance, it's arrogant, and about yeah. being loud right. and about being cocky. You know what? It's not. Confidence, the sort of confidence that I trade in, that I work in, is about genuine humility, yes. about giving of yourself freely to the world and just and an acceptance of life as it unfurls. You know, and, and stopping the blimming competition with each other yes so life's an experience it's not a competition you let go of all of that you will find a genuine beautiful person on the inside yeah so you can teach that so people can learn that i mean how would somebody listening to this who doesn't feel that confident how would you say to them to kind of move that along uh, I would well the, I, the 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 big the big piece of work I do is about helping people to identify that critical voice in their head, which mm. is rooted in fear, is telling them that they have to compete with everyone else all the time, is yeah. living in the past, well, they're not or good going enough, or future, something. not good enough, and worrying about the future and regretting the past, and and all the time missing the moment. Yeah. Um. So I absolutely will get people to sort of identify that voice and start plugging into something a little bit yeah. kinder and wiser. See, my parents somehow managed to give both myself and my sister, who's very successful and lives in America works on Wall Street and all that. We always say, we don't know what it is that they did, but they gave us that somehow. Um, And I try and give that to my own kids, and I hope that I can, because it's been the most valuable thing that I've ever had. Did they let you be yourself? Well, yeah. I mean, they were were slightly kind of um, a a bohemian, a little bit eccentric, you know. Um, We never owned any property. We always lived in rented flats and all that sort of thing. And it, none of it seemed very important, you know, but, but we both became very happy individuals. But I do think that's probably because they were just into letting, allowing you to become who you are. Yeah. So I think a parent's job is about creating healthy soil in which, you know, the, the children grow. It's not about deciding which way, 
you know, what sort of tree you're going to get because, you know, that's really not our yeah, business, right? No, quite. Exactly right. Well, Joe and Claire, thank you so much for talking to us and uh, have a nice day. And, um, you know, I'm around at one o'clock if you want to drop by. Keep up the beauty, Mike. I will. I'll try and stay beautiful, <laughs> as they say. See you soon. Thank you very bye, much indeed. Uh, Joe Emerson, Confident Coach, and Claire O'Connor from uh, Scientific Skin Care Advisor. There, You can be beautiful uh, without necessarily looking all that good. That's what I'm saying. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, let's talk to Helen White, uh, who may or may not be in favour of that, but certainly probably is in favour of not wasting quite so many eggs. Helen, uh, very good afternoon to you. <laughs> Hiya, Mike. Good afternoon. Listen, I've got a confession to make, right, which might upset a few people, but I um, had some uh, a, a couple of fried eggs not that long ago, a couple of weeks ago, right? Um, and I have a, a, a place in London and a place in Sussex, and I I, I checked once I'd made the eggs when the eggs' uh, sell-by date was, right? Do you know when it was? When was it? Last October. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And how, how were they? They were fine. They were absolutely well, fine. And I couldn't imagine why I kept them for that long. But it's just that I'm not there an awful lot and I don't always eat eggs very often, you know. Um, and they were the well, last two in the box. Well, there you go. I think, I mean, it, it goes to show you, doesn't it? And, and and what we're focusing on, as you rightly say, is this, you know, huge amount of, of eggs that are wasted. They're really popular. They're absolutely brilliant, aren't they? I mean, they're an instant meal. Oh, Everybody yeah. knows a student. Anyway, you can you can knock an omelette together. And basically, if you can do that, you set for life. Absolutely. But the the article that, that you referred to earlier is showing the huge amount of waste. I think the article quotes 720 million That's an incredible eggs. number of I mean, I can't even imagine 720 million eggs, how big that would look. I mean, I, I don't know. I can't begin to imagine what, what that must look like. But that forms part of, I mean, if, if you think about the whole amount of food waste that we waste in the UK, we waste 7.1 million tonnes of food a year in the UK. So those eggs are forming part of that that, that huge tonic. Now, at RAP, um, and we're the people behind Love Food, Hate Waste, which is where I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you from, we estimate that basically there's 21,000 tonnes of edible egg waste right. every year. And that's basically... That's we, awful, isn't it? 
66 million pounds worth. That's the value of the wasted food. Yeah. And the main reason for that is that we're not using it in time. So, um, And this is a country that... where we keep being told there's an, an, an ever-increasing need for food banks. I mean, that's shocking, really, isn't it? The numbers are really shocking, and and I deal with these numbers every day, Mike, and I'm still astonished by them, really. And 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 there's a couple of strategies that like people like like me and you can employ to to make sure that we we don't um, waste this really good Mm. food because I mean it's good food, it's good food that's going to waste. So the first bit of advice that I give to people is around just kind of buy what you need, check what you need to buy. If you if you're not going to use the eggs in time, don't go buying a massive tray of them because you're not going to get through them. Mm. Eggs have generally got, like, they need to be sold within in 21 days, um, and that's the, the sort of the sell time on them. So you've sure. got three weeks, basically. So if you're not going to get through a massive tray of eggs in 21 days, then buy a smaller number. Yes. So that's your first strategy. And then the second thing is about using what you buy, and as I mentioned, this is actually the main reason why the eggs are wasted. We're not using them, them in time. So there's a lot of stuff that, that you, you can do. You can freeze them. Did you know that you can freeze them if you're not going to I didn't use know you could freeze time? eggs. No, that's interesting. <laughs> I always assumed that you just had to keep them in the fridge. But, I mean, having had my October eggs the other week, yes. I'm not that bothered, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's it. Well, what we always say as well is absolutely keep them in the fridge. So you might buy them in the supermarket. They're, they're what we call ambient. So they're kind of like open, aren't they? Mm. They're usually in like one of those areas that's got a little thatched roof or yes. something. You don't buy your eggs from there. Um, and basically, they actually they benefit actually when you're in the home from being stored in the fridge and kept in the box because if you keep them in the box, there's less chance of them getting damaged when yes. you like rattle the door around and stuff like mm. that. So keep them in the box in the fridge. And of course, the food waste lady says your fridge needs to be set at less than five degrees. So that's the t- I also you can. I mean, you could. Fridge. I mean, another thing, and you may be about to tell me this, but I mean, mm. be a bit more imaginative with what you do with them as well, because you can also do. You don't just have to, you know, make a frittata or just a fried egg, or you know, you can do all sorts of things with them. You can do all kinds of things with them, and and, and the thing I was talking about was about freezing as well. And I'll I'll kind of like pass this on to to your listeners. So basically, this is how I would do it. So if you if you need to freeze them, if you've got a couple that you're not going to use up, and you've got no immediate plans for them, don't let them go to waste. Basically, just separate the yolks and the whites because this just gives you a bit more options. If you mix it up, then really you can only use it for something where there's like you know a mixed egg, like an omelette. Yes. But if you actually separate them, you give yourself more more choice to, to, to do what you want with them. And then you can just basically freeze them in a freezer bag or an airtight container. Mm. With the yolk, I'd just blend it a little bit first. Um, okay. And put the yolks, you can just pop in. Oh, the, do you think the manufacturers tip, are getting a bit over sort of zealous and making and then sort of having too, producing too many eggs? Um, I don't know whether it's about production because they do certainly seem to be incredibly popular. I think yeah. that they're, they're healthy. People are really into kind of healthy lifestyles. They're also incredibly convenient, like we mentioned at the beginning. You know, you can you can put a great meal, you can put a wonderful tortilla on the table in a matter of minutes yeah. if you've got some eggs. But I think always my kind of like, you know, my, my little boy's only staggered at the moment, but I've, I've kind of instructed him that, you know, when you go off to college or whatever, if you've, always, if you've got a box of eggs, You've always got dinner. Yeah, my favourite <laughs> used to be dropping an egg into some soup, which really like makes it uh, a lot Absolutely. more, a lot more sort and of eggs, filling. You know, 
It's lovely, yeah. Poached egg in soup is delicious. It really is, And, yeah. and also kind of like to top things like, um, you kippers, know, corned beef hash. Poached egg and kippers, yeah. corned beef hash. Yeah, you're talking my language. Most things. Yeah, it's not a bad thing, is it? Right. The, one t- the one tip I'd really share is if you are going to freeze the eggs, though, basically label that bag or put something on the box so that you know because you don't want any unidentified frozen objects. That's and very I good. Know, That's very good advice, I Helen. I know from experience. Yes. Egg whites in the freezer. <laughs> They look a bit strange. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. Helen, thank you very much indeed. Helen White, Special Advisor on Household Food Waste. Imagine that, talking about eggs with somebody called Helen White. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Pour me something tall and strong Make it a hurricane before I go insane It's only Well, that's certainly true. Uh, It is five o'clock somewhere. There are those people who think five o'clock isn't necessarily the kickoff point anyway. uh, There are some people who go to the pub at nine o'clock in the morning. You can now do that, of course. Uh, Unbelievably, though, uh, it's Lloyds of London who are calling time on drink and drugs. Uh, One of the oldest institutions in the country, 331 years old. Uh, They're now getting rid of the bar in the building and they're telling people you can't come to work drunk anymore. What's the world coming to, for heaven's sake? We're going to talk to Neil Wallace in a moment, a media consultant, former newspaper editor, a man who knows a thing or two uh, about the old liquid lunches. But first, Frankie is in East London. Hello, Frankie. Hello, Mike. How are you, mate? I'm very, very well. Before, and I've got to tell you, Mike, I've got to tell you the anger that I have got. I've got I'm on tablets over the anger. I've got to tell you, I am banging trouble because I cannot control the absolute level of dishonesty that's going on in our country now. I know. I'll tell you what. If there was a B-52 flying over the ads of Parliament now, there wouldn't be enough on board to do the damage. I've got to tell you now, we've gone back to the dinosaur ages. People used to look up to us in our country years ago, not too far along ago, in places like out of Borneo, Bangladesh, you name it. They looked up to us because of our quality of democracy. Look at this little mob you've got in there now. They are absolutely diabolical. Well, people it's said to me, Frankie... Liberty, what they're getting people, away with. People said to me, Frankie, if this was happening in a, in a country in South America, we'd be sending in the United Nations. I've got to, Listen, I'll tell you what we need, Mike. We need a good dose of Donald Trump. And I've got to tell you, the sooner we stop doing our Pilates... I mean, as for that bird who phoned up earlier on about the... Uh, the business about the monarchy. Listen, I'm 100% behind her. She can't do I was do on anything. LBC the other day. You're Don't talk right. about them. Don't, 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 Don't go on there. Don't go on there, for heaven's sake. Stay with Talk Radio, man. Left and I've, given, I've elbowed them. I've elbowed Good. Them. Top man. Listen, Top man. Mike, listen. What they got to do now, they have got to unload this little lot now, get rid of a lot of them, wipe them out. Get in there with an extra set and do away with a lot of them because they are driving our country. Listen, I can tell you're angry, Frankie, but violence is not the answer. But listen, you're absolutely right. We've got to vote them out. That's what we've got to do. And we've got to get them to do what we want them to do. And that's the answer. But Frankie, listen, welcome to Talk Radio. It's a far more vibrant radio station than that other one that we don't like to mention. Uh, And you also get much more common sense on it. And we won't make fun of you because you voted to leave the United uh, States of Europe, for heaven's sake. Let's talk to Neil Wallace about drinking. Neil, a very good afternoon to you cheers feel, i mean feel free to follow frankie frankie's a very angry man uh he maybe should have a couple of glasses of sauvignon and calm down a bit <laughs> well uh I, he certainly seemed to be in um, quite a rage yes. understandable rage of course yes uh because of what's been going on is simply shocking and outrageous it really and is disgrace, it really it? is I'm, I'm... and he, he's quite right about you know this is the country that was looked 
looked up to as the beacon of the world. Oh, no. Uh, I know. It's and, staggering. And our, par- our parliamentarians have just ridden a coach and horses. No. Funny, and funny, funny you should mention the parliamentarians because you and I have been around more years than we care to remember. But we remember, I'm sure, you've probably been on one or two of them, or you're also a harder worker than I was, on a few liquid lunches. But one of the places you could now still drink, uh, sort of at your work, as it were, is the Houses of Parliament, which is incredible, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And and not only that, it's also heavily subsidised. Yes. And I mean, the point is... The whole there is heavily subsidised, so they feel free to have their long liquid lunches, while the rest of the world... Apparently, he's been told that uh, you can't have a pint at lunchtime. No, exactly right. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, how old are we? Are we seventeen, or or are we, are we seven, or are we actually grown-ups? I mean, uh, I, I don't drink much that much at lunchtime. I've done in my time. Yeah. Uh, but frankly, the idea that you say to a working man that you, or a woman that you can't go for a, a quick pint or a glass of wine uh, during your own time at lunchtime. I find staggering. But isn't it now the case, though, Neil, that, that the days when you and I uh, were roaming around Fleet Street, when, when it was still Fleet Street, and you'd come out, you'd pop out of the Bouvery Street office, you'd go across to the wine press, you'd have a couple of glasses of wine there, you'd pop down to the printer's pie, you might pop up to the Wigan Pen, Elvino's. I mean, that was an incredible time, and an incredible amount of alcohol was, was being drunk and consumed. And newspapers in those days sold an awful lot more papers. They, they certainly did. <laughs> I used to know a bloke whose trick was to get in the office take his jacket off, right. put it on the back of the chair, yep. open up a notebook on it, and then slip out the back door and come back two hours later. <laughs> uh, I, knew, I knew another guy, right, who just used to walk around with his jacket on all the time. He was an executive of the Express. Just used to walk around with his jacket on all the time, so you couldn't tell whether he was coming or going or just being there. Yeah. Do you know at the Mirror Group in years, years and years gone by, they used to have a trolley that went round the executive suite to all the executives' offices, and it would top up bottles of spirits. Right. And so they would restock the fridges with bottles of whiskey, bottles of wine, right. bottles of... And it was considered a common thing to do. Incredible. It, for, for a very long time, that's how it worked. Um, you know, and though, as you quite rightly say, those newspapers used to go out. I used to know an editor who would go out every for lunch every single day. Right. And he would start his lunch with a pint of black velvet before black velvet being a pint of champagne and Guinness. Yes. Well, I mean, you know, expenses were very good in those days as well. But what do you make of Lloyds of London? I mean, Lloyds are basically now empowering their security guards to remove the passes of people who are trying to get into work who may have had a drink. If they smell of alcohol, they're going to take their pass off them and not let them in. Uh, it's so draconian, isn't it? It's completely out of out of um, control. That and, I mean, the irony is, of course, is that there's only about 800 people actually working um, are directly employed by Lloyd's of London. Yes, but there are 40,000 people with passes to go in and out there. So how on earth can you monitor 40,000 people in a day? Mm. It, it just seems nuts, doesn't it? Well, it does. But, I mean, one of the reasons they're doing it is because apparently Bloomberg highlighted a catalogue uh, of sexual and verbal misconduct claims, many of them apparently fuelled by alcohol abuse. It sounds like Sodom and Gomorrah in there. Yeah, I don't know. You get a job there, then. Um, <laughs> well, quite. Well, that's the sort of thing that get you in trouble nowadays. You can't say that sort of thing. Yeah, you can't make jokes like that, can you? Um, but... It, in truth, anything like that is vile. But people who do that 
kind of thing, I think, do it anyway, yes. and they will find a way to do it anyway because that's their inclination. I feel dreadfully sorry for any woman who's been uh, put through that. I mean, the traditional Christmas party um, was always, uh, for too many years, a minefield for some uh, for some women. But it just seems that the answer is to any kind of sexual misconduct is the person should be either fired or prosecuted yes. straight away. Well, it's and like I this, no, that was a far bigger deterrent. But that's the problem now, Neil, isn't it? Instead of taking an individual and saying to them, look, you are uh, uh, in breach of all sorts of regulations, you are uh, uh, going to be disciplined, you're going to be fined, you're going to be fined, something like that. They go after everybody instead of going after the people that are the actual, you Absolutely. know, the people yeah. guilty of doing the wrong thing. It's, it's, it's a version of sort of virtue signaling in a way. You know, they want to be seen um, to be doing the right thing. And the fact that it then becomes completely over the top is, um, uh, you know, they don't really care about what they're more interested in is being seen to be doing something. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it completely lacks proportionality, doesn't it? It really does. And this seems the classic of a sledgehammer mm. to crack a nut. Well, I can't I can't imagine that most companies now will even consider having Christmas parties. There's bound to be a point at which they just say it's not worth doing. Yes, you'd have thought so. Yeah. You'd have thought so the bit you near know, the potential issues that arise. But I mean all of this so you know you cancel a Christmas party basically because you're frightened something might happen. Well, the people who really suffer in that, isn't it? Is the is the staff and then no longer have a chance of a bit of a knees up, you yeah, know? I mean, I know. It, it, it just, it's so, it's over the top, so disproportionate. Um, and you don't know where it's going, you don't know where it's going to end. But, but listen, I presume you're now off for a very heavy lunch at the Savoy or something, eh? <laughs> Well, that's where I usually go. <laughs> Although I, I might swap it for the Ritz today. Yes, why not indeed? Yes, it's, it's, it's a hard life being a media consultant. Uh, see if you can get a newspaper editor to take you out for lunch. Although I'm told that even newspaper editors now don't have the budget to take people like you out for lunch. Yeah, well, no, you know, you don't know the right newspaper editors. Then. <laughs> I'll see what I can do, Neil. Thank you very much indeed, Neil Wallace, media consultant, forward newspaper editor himself, of course. Um, of course, I'm just being slightly coy about the newspaper editors' uh, lunch. There are some out there who will buy you lunch, even now. Uh, I had one bought for me just uh, the other day. But the idea that you can't any longer drink at lunchtime. Um, it's sort of not surprising to me, but rather ridiculous that they're going to give the right of refusal to enter a building to a security guard. I mean, you don't want to give too much power to security guards, in my experience, because they will, no doubt, they will use it against you. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.